Welcome to the New City Church Podcast. New City is a church in Bath, Maine that exists to make disciples, develop leaders, and plant churches that multiply. This week, Pastor Joel Littlefield is preaching through Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 18, and verses 23 through 28. And the sermon title is, The Saints Inherit the Kingdom with Christ. We hope you are blessed by the message today. Let me just, uh, while you guys are making your way back, let me share something real briefly with you. And then we'll read the text for today, and then we'll get into our, our study. But there has been some question and some conversations going on around um, the network that is known as the Southern Baptist Convention. You guys, if, if you read the news or if you're familiar with what's, you know, if you're on social media, you know there's been some really horrible, horrible things that have taken place that need to be called out for what they are and addressed as such. But I wanted to, because we are a Southern Baptist church, um, I don't want you to think that we're unaware or trying to sweep things under the rug with, uh, with some of those atrocities that, that have happened. Um, and just to be very frank, you know, cases of, of sexual abuse that were swept under the rug in certain churches um, that are a part of the association. So let me just say, first of all, we know that that has taken place, and we're not at all saying that it's, um, minim- it should be minimized or that it shouldn't be dealt with. Um, thankfully, the, to be Southern Baptist means to be autonomous in every local church. There is no hierarchy or government that controls or connects each church together. New City Church is New City Church, and we are a part of a, a network. But if you guys have questions or concerns or you want to talk more in depth about what those things were, just the elders are available to talk, to counsel, to share, to, to pray with you, and, and maybe try to just address some of the concerns that you've had. Because they have, they've, they've, the conversations have been coming up. And so I just want to make sure you guys know that you're welcome to um, come and talk with us about that. Just wanted you to know. So there's that. And... Let's turn to Daniel chapter 7. I'll read our text for today. We have two. We're still in Daniel 7. This is the last of our Daniel 7 series, which we've been going through the entire book of Daniel, but we paused on Daniel 7 for just a short time. And today we're going to be looking at these two texts. This is Daniel 7 beginning in verse 13, and we're going to read down through verse 18. And then we have another text beginning in verse 23 to the end of the chapter. So why don't, we, why don't we do that, and then I will pray. So Daniel 7, verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four beasts are four kings who shall rise out of the earth But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. Look down at verse 23 with me. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the earth and trample it down and break it into pieces. As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones, and shall put down three kings. 
He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and law and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away and to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High his kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. God, we need your help today. We need your help to free our minds of worldly thoughts, of things that would just simply distract us from focusing on the truth that will be presented here today. God, I pray that you would make every heart see the the great need uh, for the seriousness of the Scriptures and the seriousness of eternal life and that there are, in fact, kingdoms that are existing in this world. Many and most that we see and experience are carnal and fleshly and evil. And there are kingdoms that we cannot see. There is a kingdom of darkness that is over this earth that is a realm that is out of our visual knowledge, but it is real. And many, many, many are a part of that kingdom. But there is a kingdom that is of Christ and a kingdom of heaven and a kingdom that is of light and truth and righteousness. And Lord, I pray that we would not be unaware of what that means for us today in this room. Lord, I pray that every word spoken from my mouth, God, use me as a mouthpiece for relaying the truth and the beauty of the gospel, and the need of the hour, Lord, what we need to hear today. Holy Spirit, be our teachers. Be our teacher. Teach us. I pray that you would, as much as is possible, minimize distractions in this room, God, that we might focus, that we continue to worship you as we give attention to your word. Teach us, Lord. We give you this time, and we thank you for letting us be a family together to sit under your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The title of the message is The Saints Inherit the Kingdom with Christ. That's a great, great thought. The Saints Inherit the Kingdom with Christ. We've talked about a lot of different subjects looking at Daniel 7, some of which were very interesting to you. Some of them are very much controversial issues where there's some polar polar opposites of views on certain things. This is not one of those. I, I really pray that at the end of this, you're not like, well, I've got a different view about that. Because really, if there is, then there's a problem. This, this is one of, not one of those messages where there's much debate, and there shouldn't be, and this should be an extremely strengthening and encouraging word from the Lord today. Let me start with this thought to just get this kind of, get the wheels turning and thinking about this subject. To be in Christ is to be co-heirs with Christ. Thinking of that word, heirs, to be an heir with him, to inherit the kingdom. It's to be co-heirs with Christ and to have an inheritance that is undefilable and unfading. That's what it means to be in Christ. If you're in Christ today, you are co-heirs with him. You have an inheritance that you are a part of. That is a true statement. It is a fact. You can hold on to that. It's a good news for, for you if you're in Christ this morning. So today in our culture, an inheritance can be given to someone through a written will. Maybe you've benefited from something like this. 
You've benefited from somebody's writing down something that you get to have after they leave this earth. But if you are like me and like most people, you probably spend some of your time wishing that you had a rich uncle and that someday you'll find a check for a few million dollars in your mailbox because of this unknown rich uncle that now you get to inherit. But that's not me. Perhaps some of you have inherited land, you've inherited heirlooms, things that have been passed down through your family or estates. To this day, I have inherited absolutely nothing on this earth from anyone. And even as I say that, I'm like, some of my family, if they saw this, they'd be like, oh, no, 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 no. No, when your grandparents die, we gave you some things. Yes, yes. Like, there were some things that came from, like, the back of the closet that all the siblings were like, well, who gets this and who gets that? But, and, and I'm not minimizing that. But you get what I'm saying. When we think inheritance, what are we thinking, right? What, did somebody say something? <laughs> Wealth, that's right. Right. We're thinking, that's, what, that's where our minds naturally kind of gravitate towards. But I've inherited nothing. My parents are both still alive, and I don't think, and I, actually I know, they don't play the lottery, so there is very slim chance that I'm going to get anything. There's, it's really just not looking that good for me or my brother. <laughs> but thank God, thank God that he has changed my worldview from that of accumulation of earth's riches to the gospel which assures me of an eternal home, an eternal king, and an eternal inheritance. And that's the focus of this message. You may not inherit anything. You may be in a really bad spot right now where you're like, well, an inheritance would really change my life right now if that check just showed up in the mail, you know, or if this changed, or if I was given an estate, like here, have this ranch in Texas with 400 acres, you know. Cool. God is a father who gives good gifts to his children. That's a flow all through Scripture, the storyline of the Bible, and it begins that way. In the beginning, God created the world and committed it to Adam and Eve. In a very real way, that story, the story of creation and the story of God dealing with humanity begins with inheritance. He made the world, created it, and then said, here, you guys have this with me. I'm with you, but you're with me. We're together. They walked together in the cool of the day. They were in the garden together, and he gave them the earth as an inheritance. It was theirs to tend and theirs to care for. The whole earth was with God as their head and as their supreme, and because they were his son and daughter, very much so the very first creation, Adam and Eve, son and daughter of God, created by him. What belonged to him belonged to them. That's how it was before sin came into the world, and it was going to be theirs forever. Beautiful inheritance, but we all know what happened next. They threw their inheritance away, so keep that in mind too. People throw inheritances away all the time, and maybe you've done that, and you're doing it right now. You're doing it right now? Maybe. Not most of you, some maybe, but in this community, for sure, in this world, for sure, and it has happened all through history. In Genesis chapter 3, Satan deceived Eve, and they, Adam and Eve, turned against the love of God and the inheritance that he gave to them. What did they trade it for? Temporary pleasure. Something temporary. They traded what God had given them, which was clearly hindsight's 2020. They may have looked back and thought, Huh. I wonder if we should have done that. We look back and we go, we look back now with, uh, with the view of all of Scripture, we say, what, a, what, what in the world? 
But that is the draw. What did they trade it for? It was temporary pleasure. Tasting what God did not desire them to taste, which in the context of that scripture was the knowledge of good and evil. And that was the beginning of humanity rejecting her eternal maker for what they thought would satisfy them. Isn't that the the, the mode of humanity? To reject what the eternal God gives that is ultimately good and to reject it for what we think will satisfy us, what we think will be good for us. But sin is so deceitful, isn't it, church? Sin is so deceitful. We love it. And if you're honest with me, you'll say, I love it. If you're in Christ, you don't love it like you used to. You fight against it. You're constantly warring against the flesh, and you are waging that war every day. That is a great sign that you are in Christ if you war against sin. If you embrace sin, then you're not in Christ. If you love sin to the end that you do not fight against sin, there's a very good chance that you are not in Christ. Because the one who is in Christ is not in darkness. Light has dwelt in that person. The Spirit is indwelling in that person. And there is a hate for sin. You hate what you once loved, and you love God who you once hated. That is the transformation that the Holy Spirit brings. If we could survey the entire Bible this morning, we would see that this is the story all the way through. The deceitfulness of sin, God's grace to mankind, and mankind's rejection of his love for worthless things. Rejecting his love for something that is worthless. Thanks be to God that he does not leave the course of humanity and the course of human history to the will of human beings. I hope you don't think that that's why we are where we are, or that he leaves the course of history to the will of the human condition. He does not. We would be in a much worse worse state if he did do that. This is his world. God still owns everything. It's his universe. We are his creation. You are his creation. Every single person in this room, I'm so happy to be able to say you were created by God. That means something. To be created in the image of God, he, in a very real way, he owns you. If you created something, you would own it by the fact that it came from you. So where did you come from? Maybe, you're, maybe this challenges your current worldview, and if it does, then surrender to the truth of it. You are his creation. He still has an inheritance. He still has an inheritance for his people, and it is better than what you could ever imagine. Adam and Eve were banished from Eden, and with them, every person was spiritually and physically banished from the presence of God. If this is news, new news to you, then this is why I'm saying this. This is why I'm going back this far in the introduction, because it is so important to understand where we're going. There was a spiritual banishment as, along with a physical banishment. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they were kicked out of the garden. They not only died spiritually, but there was a physical separation so that they might see something is different. Something has changed. I don't get what I had. My relationship with God isn't pure anymore. Now I'm on the outside, and there's angels with flaming swords keeping me from going in. That would have been a stark understanding of this is bad. Something's not right. They died spiritually, and what were they left with? Human depravity. So is there evidence that our world is totally depraved? Today. Is there evidence today that our world continues on and lives in depravity? Separated from God, not willing to acknowledge God as their maker, 
pursuing several other things, many things, temporary things, pleasures, satisfactions, joys that are outside of the Creator, things that they think will satisfy but never, ever will. And that, again, is the deceitfulness of sin because you've all experienced it. Everyone has experienced thinking something would satisfy and being deceived. I got to ask somebody the other day in the park at our outreach, have you ever deceived yourself? And he said, no. And then after a little bit of thinking, he's like, yeah, <laughs> we've all deceived ourselves. We convince ourselves that something is good and it's not. But what do we do? We return to that vomit. And there's only Jesus, there's only Christ, there's only the truth that sets us free of that. And in this depraved world, there are kings and kingdoms. And the kings and kingdoms of Daniel, coming to our context, have proven this very thing. So this introduction sort of all comes underneath, holding up what we've been looking at in Daniel. Kings and kingdoms and beasts and the wickedness that Daniel is looking at and the visions that he's seeing and the persecution against the people of God are all evidences of the deeper issue in the human heart that man is depraved and is hateful against God and wants nothing to do with God in their original state, in their birthed state. In our study through Daniel, we began with King Nebuchadnezzar taking the people of God from their homes, abducting Daniel and his friends, bringing them into a country that was not their own to be governed by an evil dictator who hated God's law and hated God's people. That would have been a very clear picture to Daniel of the depraved world that he lives in. And it's also a type for us of that banishment, of being away, being temporary sojourners in a land that is not ours. Our true citizenship is in heaven. We are here as sojourners on this earth. You and I need to remember this today. The world opposes God, and we know it does by its constant rejection of Him. But Daniel serves as a type for us. Think about it this way. In one way, Daniel typifies the Christian call and what it means to be among the foolish who are chosen to confound the wise. So turn over. We're going to look at a bunch of scripture. Don't worry. That was a long introduction of my words. Please just piecemeal through that and however the Lord spoke. Praise God. But this is his word. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Look at this with me and consider that in the context of all that we've been thinking about in Daniel. Daniel as a chosen vessel. Daniel as a servant of God amongst people who were pagan and against the nature of God. Think about this with me. Daniel typifies the Christian life and that he was among the foolish who are chosen to confound the wise. 1 Corinthians 1.26, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not in order to bring to nothing the things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. What is God's plan? What is he doing? Who does he choose? How does he conduct the, even the mission of the kingdom and the gospel? He chooses weak people. He chooses people who are poor in spirit. He chooses the foolish to confound the wise. It's an upside-down system. Our world does the exact opposite. So where do you find yourself today? What would you say would be a great way to be 
uh, successful in this world. Well, to be wise and to, to be noble and to not be a fool. I don't want to be a fool. Well, look at the Scripture tells us the absolute opposite. And compared to the, the glory of God and the wonder of God and the knowledge of God, we are supposed to see ourselves as way, 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 way less. Far, far less. Oh, we are foolish compared to God. And we are unwise compared to God. And we are weak compared to God. And we need Him. Human depravity plummeted the entire world into sin, and yet God has chosen for Himself a people. And so I want you to think about this in this frame. What kind of people does He choose? And, and who does He choose? He chooses the weak, the foolish, the needy, and the despised. Now, is this a prerequisite? So if you're out there sharing the gospel, you'd say to somebody, well, are you a fool? <laughs> are, are, are you weak? Because God's only going to choose weak and foolish uh, and, and shameful people, right? And, and no, most people wouldn't be like, well, that's me, right? So this is obviously, we're talking about a work of God, right? A, a work that, that God does in the human heart to bring them to this understanding of who they really are and who their human nature is and what they, what they are as sinners. So it's not a prerequisite for salvation. It, nobody who has met the Savior, though, nobody who has met Jesus today and is truly saved, would ever say that they were anything but poor in spirit. To have met Christ is to then willingly say, and I, I would believe that the true believers in this room would say, no, I am, I am a fool, and I was a fool outside of Christ, and I am weak. Not only in the moment of the, your conversion, but for the rest of our lives. Think about this song, this famous hymn, Lord, I need you. Oh, how I need you. You're confessing your need. I need you every hour. My one defense, my righteousness. Lord, how I need you. I need you, Lord. That's a confession of your poverty spiritually. Now, Daniel, a young Jewish teenager chosen by God, then exiled, became a reminder to the people of God is in his writing as he writes out what God showed him, and Daniel, the book of Daniel, the account of Daniel becomes dispersed to the Jewish people of the 6th century B.C., and then on, he becomes a reminder to the people of God that he had not forgotten them, that God had not forgotten his rejected, dispersed, exiled people. God has not forgotten. And he was going to remedy that depravity and fulfill his promise, and ultimately his promise to Abraham. Look at the prophecy again in Daniel chapter 2. So go to Daniel 2. This is the first prophecy that we looked at. It was Daniel's interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, Daniel chapter 2, beginning in verse 44. It says, In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Now I want you to just think about this in terms of being a first or sixth century BC Jewish person under the the, the rule of regimes that are more wicked than we could ever imagine. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Hope would begin to fill and well up in your heart. That there's coming a day where the kingdoms of this earth will be brought to nothing. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, this is what it means. A great God was, has made known to the king that shall be, 
what shall be after this? The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. The hope was that these kingdoms, these kings, this world system, these dictators that were going to exist in that pre-BC centuries would come to an end at the time that the mountain is come from heaven or the, the, the stone hewn from heaven would come down and crush that image. Now, the Scripture is extremely significant. This Scripture is extremely significant in shaping your view of the kingdom. We've already talked about that a little bit. The kingdom, the kingdom, how it exists today, what is it? What this tells us is that when Jesus, the stone from heaven, which, by the way, if you think about all the times in the New Testament that Jesus is likened to a stone, and even the church as stones being built up, and who is the chief corner stone? Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. He was also the stone that the builders rejected. A stone did come from heaven, and the builders rejected him. Speaking of those Jewish Pharisees and his people, came to earth as a, as a God-man. His work was going to have a crushing effect on the systems of the world. There would be significant change to Satan's dominion and the authority with the, when Christ was inaugurated as king. A significant change would come by Jesus coming to this earth and crushing those dominating systems. From then on, I believe what this is saying is that there would be a significant change from the moment that Jesus ascends to heaven and is inaugurated as king. He sits on the throne. At the cross... What happened? Jesus paid for the sins of the believer and for all who ever have or ever will trust in Christ. Then the resurrection defeated sin and spiritual death for the believer. That's what happened. The resurrection, Jesus overcoming death, he defeats sin and death for the believer. To trust in Christ is to be raised with him now and to be seated with him in his heavenly place. Now. Right now. So I understand we're not, we're, not, we're not there now. We're here. But the scripture tells us some pretty incredible things. Now think about the ascension. The ascension of Jesus to the throne resulted in what I believe was a defeat of the stronghold of Satan and his ability to deceive the nations through world-dominating and demonically controlled territorial empires. I've said this before, and you may have a different view on history, but there's not been anything like Babylon. There's been nothing like Rome. There's been nothing like ancient day Greece or Medo-Persia. There's been evil dictators and evil presidents, but nothing like those four since those days. I think Satan's dominion was changed. His rule and the way he rules or the way he influences and deceives is different. He's still a deceiver. He's still the father of lies. But Jesus disrupted something. Didn't he? He disrupted something. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 to 23. Ephesians 1. We know that Satan is still the god of this age, and he has some power, and he can still deceive, but he is not in control. He is not in control. How can he be in control with texts like this? Ephesians 1 beginning in verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, 
and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Where? Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. When? When he was seated in the heavenly places, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Did you see that? Our resurrected, ascended Messiah, who is head over all things, was given to the church. The one who is head over all, the one who is ruler over all, has all dominion, and under which, under whose feet is everything, and there's one last thing that would be defeated at the end. We've talked about this, and he will defeat finally and fully death at the resurrection of the saints. He was given to the church. We, the church, are the chosen of God, not by merit, but by grace, according to grace alone, not because of what we have done. In Christ, we have everything. In Christ, we have everything, including the kingdom over which he reigns today. That's ours as an inheritance. A people of both Jews and Gentiles, a called out people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And why is this happening? Because it was the plan and it was the promise from the beginning. Jesus would inherit the nations. Do you know, you know that that was a promise that was given to Jesus by the Father? Son, your inheritance will be the nations. Isn't that cool? The Father to the Son, you're going to inherit the nations. And it wasn't going to come easy. He would pay his life for the sins of his people and by divine right rule as king over them and rule through them. The kings of the earth, including men like Nebuchadnezzar in our context with Daniel, including Darius and all the pharaohs that have ever existed to suppress the truth of God, all the Herods and the Caesars of Rome, all who have ever sought to stop the plan and the promise of God could not do it. We have the record of man after man and ruler after ruler that sought to oppress and suppress and snuff out the people of God and bring an end to the truth of God, and all were unsuccessful, and that is by God's plan. But look at this messianic psalm, Psalm 2. Flip over, I should hear some pages. Psalm chapter 2. Or your phones, I guess. Push your buttons harder or something so I can hear. You know, oh yeah. Psalm 2. Look there. Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage? The question is asked. Why do the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds, bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. But he who sits in the heavens, he laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, on my holy hill. 
I will tell of the decree. Listen to this decree. I will tell of the decree. Then there's the colon. Here's the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage. The ends of the earth, your possession. You shall break them with a a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. This is the heritage of the Son, the Son, the King that He would set in Zion. Jesus Christ who came into the world to be the Savior of the world. The kings of the earth would laugh and mock and God would look upon that, set His King on that holy hill. And this is the promise that Jesus came with. He would inherit the nations. The rest of the psalm says, Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry. And you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Have you taken refuge in Jesus? Have you found your refuge in Christ? Because to Him belongs the kingdom. And all who oppose will perish. Now watch how this ties in with Daniel 7. You guys are doing remarkable, keeping, just dealing with all the turning. I know I don't normally do this very much. Next week we'll be in Daniel 8, and we should just be like in Daniel 8. Like, Daniel 8. But this is important stuff. So Daniel 7. Look at verse 13 again with me. This is the text that we read. But think about all of this, how it ties in with Daniel 7. I saw in the night vision, beginning of verse 13, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him, to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed." You see how that's tying together? The inheritance of Christ, even the prophecy of Daniel. Now, what is this particular text referring to? Remember what this is referring to, this section, Daniel 7, verses 13 to 14. This is not the second coming of Jesus. We often think about this as the second coming because we hear the word clouds, in the clouds. So we, always, we just think that must be the second coming. But we, we've talked about this, so this is a, a review, but think about what's happening. This is not the second coming, but this is the ascension. This is the ascension into the throne room. The text is very clear. He went to the Ancient of Days. He went into the Ancient of Days. Where's the Ancient of Days? We've already saw in the context. He's in heaven. He's in the throne room. He's at the throne. And he goes into the Ancient of Days, the Son of Man. And what was he receiving from the Father? He was receiving from the Father dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. That's what He received at ascending to the Father and sitting at His right hand to rule as King. And what does this have to do with us? It has everything to do with us. It has everything to do with you as a believer right now. In Christ... All the promises of God are fulfilled. In Christ, all of them are fulfilled. The paradise that forfeited was forfeited by Adam and by Eve. And God's desire to share dominion as inheritance comes to fruition in Jesus Christ. The lost paradise that Adam and Eve forfeited 
is remedied in Jesus by us receiving from him an inheritance alongside him by his death, burial, and resurrection and ascension to the throne. Watch what this says. Daniel 7.14 told us that Christ has given, been given dominion. Verse 15, Daniel, he's anxious. He's alarmed with, his, with what he sees. He's watching, and it's all unfolding, and he's, and he's alarmed. But then in verse 15, or excuse me, verse 17, these, this is what he hears. These four beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. In the very same context of Jesus ascending, he gives this promise that though there are these four beasts, there is coming a time where the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. Daniel sees that Christ gets the dominion, but then what about the beasts? And I think that's telling of oftentimes what we think about. Well, if we have dominion, what about the beasts around us? What about the dominion that we see around us that seems to be ultimate in the world, in the world that we live in? So the answer to that is yes, there will be beasts and there will be kings who arise up out of the earth to oppress the saints. There always have been. There will be those who seek to wear out the saints. But who is it that receives the kingdom? The saints receive the kingdom. That's the promise to hold on to today. That's what you need to remember. That's what you need to think about right now. I'm telling you what to think. <laughs> think this way. If you're a believer in Christ, if you are in Christ, you inherit the kingdom. You inherit with Jesus. There will be kings who arise to oppress the saints, but you inherit the kingdom. For how long? How long will you inherit the kingdom? He tells us, forever, forever, and ever. Isn't that an interesting pairing of words? Forever, forever, and ever. It's actually better in the Aramaic. In the Aramaic, it's four words that are right back to back, the same word. It's the Aramaic word, alam. And it says, literally, if you read it, it says, alam, 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 alam. <laughs> it just means perpetuity. It means forever. It means constant. And the translators, I love it. They're like, how about forever, forever, and ever? <laughs> just three is probably enough. <laughs> No, no, he actually said it four times. How long is that? It's forever. It's a long, it's, it's incredible, church. And how much would this change our view and our outlook on our lives and how we see what's going on around us? That you are inheritor of the kingdom with Christ. But Daniel looks closer and he inquires, inquires about that devilish little horn that arises from the fourth beast. What about him? What about the really bad ones? So we have beasts, but what about this beast? What about this little horn who speaks great words, who is wearing out the saints? Yes, even then God wins, and so do his people. Daniel 7, 26, the court sits in judgment, and his dominion, speaking of the little horn, shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end, and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. That's in the very context of the little horn thinking he rules thinking that his words mean the most. As he blasphemes God, God takes away his dominion, and the promise remains, my people inherit the kingdom. My people live forever. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominion shall serve and obey him. It's easy to focus on the beasts. 
It's easy for Christians to focus on the little horn and whatever, whatever ruler might be ruling today and wearing out the saints. It's easy for us to think about the wearing out of the saints and to take all those things and try to line them up with the events of this day and think, well, how, how close are we to the end and what's going to happen next? And it's very tempting for us to do, but how often do we just enjoy the truth that Christ has given us his kingdom? How often do you as a follower of Jesus just simply enjoy the fact that you as a believer inherit all things in Christ? And that is as true of a fact as anything that can be true. It is true that you as a, as a Jesus follower, as a Christ follower, as one who is in Christ, you inherit these things. We possess the eternal kingdom. We receive the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. Believers in Jesus Christ share together in his inheritance. You might never, ever receive the kind of earthly inheritance that you daydream about. You may not ever. When you look around you and you're constantly reminded of the temporal nature of things, we're reminded on a daily basis how, how weak and how temporary things in life are. Possessions get stolen, homes wear out, things break down, money gets sparse, and that is when you need the gospel truth preached to your heart about what your true inheritance is and what you have because of Jesus. In a broader sense, the nations of the world are often led by beasts. There are still beasts today, right? That's not an imaginative thing. This is not just fairy tale. There are beasts in rule, in rule over nations of our world in their hatred for God and their agenda to spread evil, it is very, very much beastly. And there are lawless people who want to wear out the church and have a great effort to suppress the gospel in every society. And it is then, and in those moments, that we need the gospel of the truth of the inheritance of the saints spoken to our hearts. And that you need to preach that to yourself. You are responsible for preaching the gospel to your own heart. If you are overruled by anxiety and fear on a weekly basis, you're not preaching this truth to your heart. It is so true. It is such an important doctrine, the inheritance of the saints. It's been promised to us. It's been prophesied. It is ours. Ephesians 1.11 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That is true for the Christian. We have obtained an inheritance. The inheritance of the church is as sure now as it ever will be. Ephesians 1.13, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. There is again in, in Paul's words to the Ephesians, your guarantee of your inheritance is the Spirit of God within you who was given to you when you believed. It's the guarantee, and you will take possession of it. Now notice this language. It's telling us that, that great phrase, the now and the not yet. We have the inheritance now. One day you will know it more fully. One day you will truly take possession. It will, and, and, you'll, and you'll enter into the joy of the Lord. And you will truly, there's, the, there's going to be a day where you walk into a physical place in which righteousness dwells. You will walk up to Jesus in a place where it's all, all the wrong has been made right. And you will inherit these things. 
the sureness of our possession of it is because of grace, not merit. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. Colossians 1.12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has qualified you. And it is only He who can qualify you to share in that inheritance. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see how this is connected with the kingdom? The kingdom that we preach, the kingdom that we live in as beloved saints, this is our kingdom. Jesus has given us His kingdom. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So we need to give thanks. Paul tells the Colossians, give thanks to the Father who has qualified you. So we need to give thanks. What's one application of this? Give thanks for the possession and your inheritance that you have in Christ. Thank him. Thank him daily. Thank him often. Give thanks because by grace you have this inheritance. Jesus is the qualifier. To reject Christ is to reject an eternal and unfading inheritance. 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That is the work that is being done now for you. And oh, how sad that many, many, many will not receive this inheritance. There are many that will not get this inheritance, for they will love themselves and love the world and love pleasure rather than God, just like Esau, who traded his birthright, his inheritance, for a bowl of porridge. Remember the story? There will be many who look at their life and their fleeting pleasure and their temporary offers of satisfaction and will receive that in place of an eternal inheritance. But how incredible that many, many, many are joining the kingdom of Christ. And you have, many of you have, you joined the kingdom of Christ and many more throughout this generation and the next will join his kingdom. And be part of the kingdom because of Jesus, because he keeps his promises, and the nations have been promised to Christ as an inheritance. That makes the gospel proclamation that much more important to us. What is the Great Commission about? Why do we go into the world? Why did Jesus say, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations? It's because of the inheritance of Christ that was promised to him. It's because of our inheritance that we will inherit heaven with not just people in front of us, but all nations, tribes, and tongues under one ruler, Jesus Christ, those who have given their allegiance to him. And that is our promise. So if you are in Christ this morning, are you in Christ this morning, then his victory is yours. His world is yours, very much real. His world, what he's created, it's yours in Christ. If it belongs to him, then in Christ and through Christ, it belongs to you. His Father is yours. Do you guys ever think about that? Because of the work of Jesus, the Father of Jesus Christ is my Father and your Father. That's an inheritance. 
that outpaces any check that could come in the mail. The Father who created everything is your Father, and you can find great comfort in that. His people are your people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Every new person who comes into the kingdom through Jesus becomes your people, your brother and sister, because we have one Father, and you get the kingdom alongside of Christ. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. That is the truth to hold on to. Think about your inheritance. Rest in it. Let it comfort you. Remind yourself of it. Preach it to yourself. Let it even shape the way you preach the gospel to others. When you preach the gospel to others and you bring them to Christ and you point them to Christ, what are you telling them? There's another kingdom. Leave that kingdom. It's fading and it will fail and it will be destroyed. Come to Christ's kingdom. He's the king who reigns forever. His father will be your father. He'll never leave you. He'll love you. He'll provide for you. He'll be your God and you can be his people and it will never end. And there's an inheritance in heaven, unfading, kept there for you until the day that we possess it fully. This is worth rejoicing in, church. Let's pray that God really does work in our hearts to, to really shape us and think, get our hearts to really think around these issues and these things so that we don't fall prey to the worries of the world. Father, we give you the thanks and we give you praise for the way you work in your church and the truth of the gospel. Lord, I pray that we would not let this be an unimportant issue to us, but that we would embrace this fact that in Christ we inherit all things. And your plan was that the saints of the Most High would have dominion with you. You sent your disciples into the world under your authority to go into the world and make disciples, Lord. Give us that strong conviction and encouragement to go in his power and his strength to bring the gospel to the nations Lord, when we are in our weak state, when we are feeling the sense of defeat and being just down, I pray, God, we would remind ourselves of who we are in Christ and who Christ is and what you've done for us. Remind this church of what we inherit through the blood of Jesus Christ and through our faith in him. I pray you'd lift up those that are weak and that are dealing with Oh, struggles of this world. All of us are in, many, in a variety of ways as we face various trials, God. Help us to have joy and know that we can have joy because of the resulting work of Jesus and his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension to heaven. Oh, God, encourage us. Strengthen our hearts. Strengthen this church. We love you, Lord. We thank you for what you've done. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. For more messages from New City Church, check us out on any of the major podcasting platforms. Or if you want to find our gathering times, location, or any other information about New City, check out our website at bathnewcity.church. We hope to have you join us next week.